Welcome to the Deep End, episode three. I am your co-host Hamed, and joining me is the Barcelona Stand Club president and sports prodigy Mo. Yes, sir. I'll take that. That's that's a great compliment. Um, wear it with pride. So, uh, yeah, man. How you doing today? I'm doing all right. I uh, very anxious to get into everything. It's been uh, maybe the most exciting week of the year when it comes to football. Oh, man. Absolute madness. Absolute madness everywhere. Yeah, there's a lot, a lot to get into today. And I think uh, our listeners are going to love today's show just just because of how much like madness happened this week. Absolutely. If we're, if we're going to like just skim through everything, even that doesn't even do it justice because you have the Premier League, you have La Liga, you have the Bundesliga, you have the transfers, you have the Champions League draw. There's there's so much to get into. Yeah, um, so we can start first. We can just kind of go through the Premier League games first, um, just because there was a lot going on there too last weekend. Uh, let's start with, I'll go start off with Chelsea and Arsenal here. Um, this is obviously uh, Derby, London Derby. Mm-hmm. Um, Arsenal's coming off that uh, defeat uh, against Brentford uh, opening day. They look very, very disappointing, and <laughs> it looks like nothing has changed at all since then, <laughs> according to this game. Um, this is also the debut of Romelu Lukaku, who, believe it or not, he did play with Chelsea before, but he has not scored a goal with them until, obviously, uh, in that game against Arsenal on Sunday. Uh, he did open the scoring with a goal in the 15th minute, and... He just completely, completely overpowered Pablo Mari on that goal. He just literally took his soul, overpowered him, just pushed him out of the way like he wasn't even there. Same can be said for the rest of the Arsenal defense. They weren't even there, which is just has been the story um, this past season with Arsenal. And um, just just their midfield, too. I mean, you got someone like Granit Xhaka in midfield that they, they've given the captain's armband to. They've given him a new deal. They've given players like uh, Rob Holding a new deal in defense. Like this club, I feel like it's more, I mean, Chelsea is very, very good. Don't get me wrong, but it's more about Arsenal turmoil than it is about Chelsea greatness. And Chelsea is a great team and Thomas Tuchel is a great coach and everything. But their midfield is non-existent. I mean, Arsenal was just, or Chelsea, I'm sorry, was just knifing through the midfield. It was wide open, just completely wide open and knifing straight through them all night. Reese James um, coming up from uh, from the wing spot also had a really nice goal. Um, he's been making a lot of runs lately um, on that side. And obviously because it's Arsenal, I mean, he can make all the runs he wants and there will be absolutely no uh, no defense from them. So... Uh, the game pretty much ended just uh, just a two nil two nil defeat uh, for Arsenal. Uh, Lukaku should have had another goal, but I'm not gonna lie, that was a good save by uh, Bern Leno. I believe it did also uh, hit hit the bar as well on the way out. So um, all in all, um, Arsenal definitely is overpowered, and um, that's that's about it. It was just outclassed by Chelsea. I mean, there's not really much more to it this game. Um, the possession, Chelsea had most of the possession and they had a lot of, a lot more shots, um, than Arsenal did. Arsenal really had one, one chance. I think it was Rob Holding. He had a, he had a header, a clear chance yeah. that he, he completely just, just buffed. So, um, absolute sitter. Absolute yeah. So other than that, that's, that's about it for that game. Um, do you have anything else you, uh, you want to add in about that? 
Um, not really. I mean, I, I agree with all your points. Um, the the Arsenal midfield just looks tired. Uh, a bunch of youngsters, like I said, we mentioned this before in previous episodes. Chelsea just looks like I said they're in their prime right now. It honestly, it didn't even take long for them to score. Lukaku only scored 15 minutes in to his debut with uh, with with Chelsea. Uh, off of a Reese James uh, cross, extremely, extremely great delivery, close range. He showed strength. He 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 overpowered Pablo Mari, like you said before. It just definitely just looks like, you know, Chelsea looks fantastic to start off the season. And I know you know Arsenal isn't really exactly a test of you know if you're a contender or not with the way that their current team is is built, but at the same time. Chelsea looks impressive each and every week. And uh, they finished off this game early, like I said before. Like I said, you know, Lukaku scores 15 minutes in. Reese James scores 20, or 15, or 20 minutes later in the 35th minute. Uh, off of uh, a Mason Mount pass. Mason Mount, obviously the heart of the club, being an academy graduate. And uh, Brent Leto had, you know, he had no answer for it. And uh, from then on in, it just looked like, you know, a lot of Arsenal chances that went wide, a lot of Arsenal chances that went missing. Just, they they desperately they desperately look like they miss Aubameyang and Lacazette out there, considering both of them recently uh, tested positive for COVID-19. They couldn't be with the squad. But again, they are desperately missing their veteran uh, presence out there because these youngsters are not cutting it especially against a team that just won the Champions League last season and a team that looks like that they are going to be contenders for the title. Yeah, um, that's true. I mean, Arsenal, at, at the end of the day, Arsenal has to look at Mikel Arteta and uh, they got to look at the owner, as I said on the last episode, Stan Kroenke. He, the, the amount of money that he's giving players that don't deserve it, Arsenal spent the most money this transfer window so far. Mm-hmm. And I think they're the only team that's gotten worse <laughs> from like the transfers that they brought in. Like it's it's unreal. Like they got so much worse, and they supposedly have supposed to have to have a defensive minded um uh their their defensive coach. He's supposed to be like one of the best defensive coaches, and they managed to get worse on defense still. So I don't know, but it starts at, it starts up top. Um, starts with Mikel Arteta. It starts with Stan Kroenke, and both of those guys need to. Get out of town. So, yeah, it looks like they need to pack it up quickly, and that would be a relief to a lot of Arsenal fans everywhere. They're calling for their heads. Easy and simple. Uh, moving on to the next game, we had a Liverpool versus a Burnley. Uh, Liverpool and Burnley, um, their games are usually—I'm not going to lie to you guys—they're usually very boring. Burnley has a very tough defense. And it looks like they have Liverpool figured out most of the time. I mean, most of the time they do end up losing, but it's like with a very narrow margin. They definitely have Liverpool as a squad, like, figured out. We're talking about a team that Mo Salah has scored only once in the past seven meetings. He scored again, I believe, did he? Oh, he did not. I'm sorry. Yeah, this is... That would make it... Uh, he, he had a goal, but it was ruled out. And it was, yeah. Was... Yeah, yeah, the offside <laughs> goal, I remember. <laughs> I was I, kicking I, and screaming because I, I captained him on fantasy, so that's yeah. that's why I remember that. 
Yeah, no, I uh, I definitely remember that one. I, I I don't know why I just remembered it being uh, counted, but it was an offside. Yeah, I remember that clearly. Uh, yeah, that would make it one goal in the last eight meetings between Liverpool and Burnley. Um, it looked like a pretty good game overall. You had Diego Jota uh, scoring in scoring in the 18th minute. He is uh, very quickly proving to be a very good player for Liverpool. Uh, they definitely do not miss Roberto Firmino right now. He is, uh, I'm not saying he's a bad player, but having a front three of Sadio Mane, Mo Salah, and Diego Jota is deadly. You have three players that could be strikers who also play as wingers. You have three very speedy guys up front. Their dribbling is fantastic. Diego Jota's accuracy is, is great. His, his hustle, his, his, his strength on and off the ball. It's fantastic. He always finds these little openings, and he is perfect for Liverpool system. It kind of makes me wonder if Roberto Firmino still has a spot in the system because, yes, he is a fantastic false nine. He's really good on the defensive end. He's really good at you know creating chances for the wingers. But when it comes to actual attacking, he's been lacking for quite a few seasons. You know, you ask any diehard Liverpool Liverpool fan these days. You know, who's the first person that needs to go off the squad? You'll you'll most likely hear them say Roberto Firmino needs to go. They need a true striker out there. They definitely do need a true striker out there. You know, you have players out there like Harry Kane. You have players like there like, you know, Erling Haaland, Kylian Mbappe. They, those are true strikers. Those are players that can finish in the box. Roberto Firmino in the last couple of seasons has proved that he is not who he used to be. When he was with Liverpool, like during his early days, during his first couple of seasons, he was fantastic. Free kick threat. He was he was he was a finisher. He was fantastic. But recently I'm not sure why. Maybe it's a system thing, maybe it's something with his confidence, but he just plays a false nine. It kind of feels like he's the most defensive player out there because he's always running back. He's always you can always catch him in the midfield. You can't always catch him in the box anymore. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. most of, most of his goals are like off of headers, off of corners, off of you know things like that. You don't really see him finishing like he used to. It was an easy win for Liverpool, like I said, two zero. Uh, goal from Diego Jota and uh, Sadio Mane. Um, Simikas, the Greek player, assisted on the first goal, while Arnold he assisted on the second goal. It was a beautiful, beautiful cross. Um, from from Simikas, I mean. Uh, Arnold, uh, he was running because he always ends up joining the attack. He's he's really really good. He's a complete player for Liverpool. Um, scored or I mean passed and led to a Sadio Mane goal. Burnley just looked like I said outclassed. Their defense held up as much as they can. And while it does seem like you know it was an easy win for Liverpool on paper, it definitely was not. You watch the game, you can see that Liverpool struggled to score. Yes, Diego Jones struggled to or he scored early on. But still, the, the second goal came in the 70th minute. Well, that's almost 50 minutes later. And they had a lot of chances on target. But like I said, Burnley's defense is very tough. Yeah, um, everything you said is, is spot on. I think with uh, specifically with uh, uh, Simikas, he, he stepped in that role. And he's literally playing the Andrew Robinson role, uh, Robertson role perfectly. He's making those forward runs. He's getting crosses into the box. He's assisting on goals. Him on the other side of Trent Alexander-Arnold, they're both kind of just, they complement each other so well. And I feel like with the speedy front that Liverpool has, 
Um, it's gonna be it's gonna be very nice to have uh, someone like Simikas once uh, Andy Robertson gets back from uh, injury um, to rely on off the bench just in case anything happens. And um, yeah, on the whole of uh, Firmino thing, it's been it's he's been like this for a while. And Liverpool fans were very excited when uh, uh, Diego Jota first um, they first got him last season. They were very excited, and he kind of hit the ground running. I mean, he he really made his presence felt. Um, right away on the team and again a product of Wolves and they do such a great job at developing young players and turning them into stars so um, yeah that's about all I had uh, for that game you covered all of it uh, I'm just going to jump in real quick uh, to West Ham against Leicester uh, London Stadium was packed bubbles were flying everywhere uh, the hammers were ready to take on Leicester City uh, this this was probably my favorite game of the weekend, even though it was played on Monday technically. But my favorite game of the week, um, I don't want to say it's the, it was the best game, but it was my favorite game personally, just because it was it was nonstop action. It was four one. There was a lot of goals, and quickly becoming one of my favorite players is Mikel Antonio, who became West Ham's uh, Premier League leading scorer in the whole history of the team. Well deserved to that guy. He has everything you want in a striker. He has a strength. He has the shot power. He's fearless. He runs into the box. He'll take on any defender. Um, he scored two of their four goals, 80th and 84th minute. Uh, Pablo Fornal is open to scoring, who's also a very good player. And Saeed Nrahma, um, the Algerian, uh, also got a goal. He's been playing out of his mind. He scored a goal in the opener, too, in their opening game. Uh, he's been making runs, he's been passing, he's been assisting. Uh, he's just awesome, and uh, you love to see it. You love to see another uh, auto player uh, kind of making his presence felt in the Premier League. Um, and yeah, I mean, uh, Leicester City, in the beginning, they looked decent. Uh, Tielemann scored a goal in the 69th minute. It's kind of a consolation goal. Uh, that red card to Iosi Perez kind of hurt him a little bit. That was awesome. That was awful. Yeah, yeah. You know, I don't. Know. Four, four and alls. I mean, Isaac Perez. That was that was just. It was borderline foul play. Uh, the second you saw mm-hmm. it, you, I mean, I know it doesn't look like it was that serious, but still, he stepped on his ankle. Like it could, it could have led to a serious injury. The ref yeah. had to review it and everything, but I knew the second it happened, it was definitely, definitely like a straight red. He deserved that thoroughly. I mean, yeah, it was definitely dirty play, bro. But at the same time, it was tough. I mean, you you really did have to look at it a bunch of times because I didn't think from the first time I saw it. First time I saw it, I was like, what, what, what happened? Like, I didn't really see like a lot of foul play. But once they uh, went back to to VAR and they reviewed it, I was like, okay, you know what? This, yeah, this this does constitute a uh, straight red. So, um, but real quick, just back to West Ham. Uh, their team is is not to be trifled with. I mean, they have a great team. You got players like uh, Soufal, Cresswell, Declan Rice, Bowen, Pablo Fornals, uh, Ben Rahma, um, obviously Mikel Antonio. I mean, those people, those those players are good. And then Manuel Lanzini off the bench too, Andre Yarmolenko. They have a really good team. And honestly, I'd love to see West Ham make some noise this year in the Premier League. It'd be, I think it'd be really good for the league. Absolutely. Um, and it's very impressive to see because 
this isn't something that like this isn't something new that we're seeing. If 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 any of you are watching the Premier League like as religiously as as we do, you would know that West Ham made a lot of noise last season as well. There was a point where they went on top of the Premier League mid-season. Like it wasn't a fluke or anything like that. It was it was they earned that spot. And a lot of it was due to Jesse Lingard, who had a fantastic loan spell at West Ham last season, and he went to Manchester. Yep. He went back to Manchester United this season. But it's great to see that there are a lot of players stepping up in the spot, like you mentioned before. Are those players even Lanzini off the bench, and obviously Thomas Suchek, who who is who is definitely their most durable player. He is their most consistent player. He is fantastic. You also have uh, Aaron Cresswell, who is. Definitely one of the most underrated defenders this league has to offer. He he's he's fantastic on the ball, off the ball when it comes to crossing, defending. You know, he's even a goal threat sometimes, and you see yeah. that during the games. And it's a shame that West Ham has to play in the Europa League this season. No disrespect to the Europa League, but still, they do they did deserve a Champions League spot last season, and I definitely hope and predict that West Ham will be in the Champions League next season. I could definitely see them finishing top four if they can continue this run of form. Oh, absolutely. And before we wrap up this game, I just have a kind of a question to you and to maybe the listeners um, just to kind of uh, ponder this. Do you think Mikel Antonio is the most underrated player in the Premier League? Because personally, I think so. That's tough. That's very tough. You know, you you have a lot of hidden gems. You have a lot of underrated players in this league um definitely because like i said it is the most competitive league or a competitive football league in the world and in my eyes it's the best would i call him underrated uh probably what it would i would i call him the most underrated i'm not sure because what what a lot of people fail to realize is that yes michael antonio scored two goals late on for the hammers last game but he also became their rec he, he he became their record scorer at West Ham. You know, he's been there for quite a bit. And he's been fantastic and he's been really good. I would not call him underrated because I guess in a way I don't really see someone that is a record holder as underrated, but would I yeah. say that he is definitely one of the most underappreciated? Absolutely. He is he should definitely get more attention in the Premier League. It's baffling to see that you know, why teams haven't called on him or teams that aren't interested in him haven't, you know, made bids or anything like that. Exactly. Exactly. Strange to see, but, you know, he's making them pay week in and week out. Like I said, West Ham. Uh, I believe that this, this, this keeps their perfect record, I believe. Uh, yeah. yeah. It does. Yes. Yes. It, that makes it 2 0. Two games, uh, two games up, uh, two games down. You know, six points on the table. It actually has them statistically. It has them at the top of the Premier League because of the goal difference and the amount of goals that they've scored and everything like that. So now you can only hope to have them continue this great form of run. You know, yeah, hopefully, man. I mean, you you'd love to see it. And like I said, back to the Antonio thing, real quick before we get to the next game, but um. Like you said, I think underappreciated is a better word just because it's it's baffling how teams haven't like inquired about him or how there's no buzz around him like moving or going anywhere. He's not talked about as much as like a lot of other Premier League strikers and 
I don't know. I just feel like he deserves to be talked about some more. But yeah. Of course. On to the next game. Um, Manchester United kind of came back down to earth this week. They played against Southampton. Uh, ended up drawing one to one. The game was pretty tough. Uh, even just looking at the stats right now, honestly, you could tell it was tough. Lots of players. It kind of looks like you know they got. You know, a lot of players had red card or a lot of players had yellow cards. I'm sorry. Uh, during the game, you could tell it was a physical matchup, and I watched the game myself, and I could tell that they were struggling immensely. But you know, based off of like just the yellow cards alone, you have Bruno Fernandez picking one up, you have Harry Maguire picking one up, you have Paul Pogba picking one up. You know, it's crazy. Uh, Southampton is a very gritty team, and uh, every every single matchup with them is tough. You are going to earn that win. You are going to most likely win by the skin of your teeth. You know, it, the, you know the, they're a very tough team. They're a very well-coached team. You might not find, like, you know, world-class players on the squad, but you can definitely call them a challenge week in and week out. Uh, Mason Greenwood started off the scoring in the 55th minute. This would be his second goal of the season. Um, you know, they had a lot of chances after that. You know, Harry Maguire, he had a... He had a shot coming off of the goalpost after a Bruno Fernandez free kick. Uh, you had the Paul Pogba chance uh, with the header that went just like inches over the goal off of that Luke Shaw cross. Just literally inches. It was so close. Uh, you know, Southampton, you know, they went for it as well. Uh, unfortunately, you know, uh, things, like I said, didn't go perfect for Manchester United. Uh, the goal that Southampton scored was off of Fred, who is a Manchester United player. He, you know, made a mistake on the defensive end. It ended up deflecting right into the goal. You know, David De Gea could not see it coming. And unfortunately, they finished off the game to one to one. But, you know, you know, the good news is that Manchester United keep their undefeated uh, streak. They have not been we- beaten away from home in 27 straight matches, which I believe equals Arsenal's record. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah, this game, um, this game was was all right. It wasn't the most entertaining game in the world for sure. For like a neutral fan, if you're not, you know, a Southampton or a Man United fan, it was it was a little, it was it was a grit and grind game for sure. And um, yeah, it's just. Man United definitely, like you said, came back to earth after their stunning opening night. They kind of, I don't think anyone expected this result, per se. I don't think anyone expected it to finish 1-1. I think people expected Man United to continue their hot streak and um, just keep, you know, steamrolling teams. But that's the beauty of the uh, Premier League. Uh, That doesn't happen very often unless you're, uh, you know, a Liverpool team that won a couple years ago or a Man City team that won you know last season so it 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 takes uh it takes a special team to do that in the premier league for sure but um yeah you you hit all the points in that game and the next game was tottenham against wolves um nuno uh going back uh to his old team facing his old team wolves as a tottenham manager now um this game was also kind of kind of iffy i felt like wolves should have won this game i'm just very upset because uh my guy adama Traore, former barca youth product had a lot of chances if only he could finish his finishing he's outrunning everyone he's he has a skill to beat uh 
uh, defenders one-on-one. He just cannot finish. And it was the same story. Match week one, he couldn't finish. He couldn't get the goal. It's the same story again, again against Tottenham. Uh, Deli Alley's penalty is the only thing to separate them in the 10th minute. Um, other Barca boy, Francisco uh, Trincao, he is on loan um, at Wolves right now. And he played well. He played very well, too. But again, for for me, this game, the story was about Wolves and how they just they just couldn't finish it off. They had a lot of chances. And I mean, they had 25 shots. Only six of them were on target. So like those are like FIFA numbers. It's like video game numbers. You just you, you got to finish. You, you just have to. There's 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 nothing more really to be said than that, in my opinion. No, I I definitely agree with you. You know, watching this game, you could definitely see that Wolves wanted it even more. Um, you know, the game only ended up finishing 1-0 to Tottenham, and that one only happened because of a penalty in the first 10 minutes off of a defensive mistake. This is essentially what won them the game. You know, just just that. Uh, penalty, but if we're looking at the chances alone, like you said, 25 shots. Yes, only six of them are on target, but still, that does not, you know, tell the whole story. You know, you have players like uh, Raul Jimenez. By the way, uh, this was his first appearance since November 23rd, 2020. After that horrific head injury that he had, uh, it was really, really great to see him back on the pitch. And it kind of looked like he had no restrictions. He was he was playing well. You know he tried as much as he could with his shots, but he, he only had one very close chance. Uh, coming off of a pass from Joao Matinho, kind of, you know, curled to the right when he was shot. Uh, another Barca product, uh, Nelson Semedo, also uh, had a very close uh, chance on goal, but obviously it hit the target, unfortunately. Uh, also, like I said, you know, a lot of players from that squad, they were trying their hardest. But unfortunately, they couldn't get the job done. It kind of felt like the ball was going to go in eventually. You know, you the Wolves were very dominant during that game. But at the same time, Tottenham's defense is great. Um, it, it, it was a lot of unlucky shots for, for the Wolves. You know, and unfortunately, they couldn't get it done. And uh, the good news is for Tottenham, you know, they came out with the win, obviously. But they also got back their star player in Harry Kane, who came on in the 81st minute. I believe it was the 81st minute. No, I'm sorry. He came out in the 75th minute. And then during the 81st minute, he had his first shot on target. Uh, but it was saved by the uh, Wolves keeper. Uh, like I said, it was great to see Raul Jimenez back. It was great to see Harry Kane back. You know, with a renewed passion to stay at Tottenham after his negotiations with Man City fell through. But uh, very unfortunate for Wolves. I'm sure, you know, this game does not speak the facts or tell the wolf story they're still a very gritty squad they're still a very underrated squad i could definitely see them making some noise in the premier league maybe not like a top four maybe even top six finish but i could definitely see them being in the upper half of the premier league and you know hopefully they can get it together next game with their finishing because this game should have been theirs if it wasn't for all those chances that were you know they kind of just missed and um Real quick, you know, like I said, we had a lot to get into this week, but, uh, you know, not, nothing else notable happened except maybe the thrashing that Norwich took from Manchester City. 
He was 5-0 in Manchester City. Started off, you know, you could kind of tell in the beginning that it was going to be a very long game after their uh, keeper, Tim Krul, he uh, accidentally scored an own goal. Jack Reilish went on to, yeah, Jack Reilish went on to score his debut goal in the 22nd minute in front of the City squad, or the City fans. Um, Emeric Laporte, Raheem Sterling, Riyad Mahrez, you know, they just kept going back and back and forth. Uh, it was just a full thrashing. There wasn't really much to talk about from Norwich's effort. It kind of just looked like, you know, they were out of it completely by the end of the first half. And, you know, Manchester City just kept, you know, pouring it on. This is this is where Manchester City gets dangerous. Once they find their stride, you will definitely see ridiculous score lines week in and week out for them. This is how they won the Premier League title last season. And it's very nice to see this return to form after their awful game against Tottenham in the first week. Uh, does this mean that they're still contenders? Yes. Does this mean that they're going to win? The title, it's you know, it's still up in the air right now, and it's not because they don't have a striker. It's because of anything of them. It's just a very tight race in the Premier League right now. You know, like I said, you had Chelsea, a very impressive squad. You have Liverpool; they're always contenders with that you know stacked squad they have. Uh, obviously, you have United now, who honestly I think is my pick to the to win the Premier League this year. Uh, but we're gonna get to that in a bit. Um, other than that, no, just a very uh, regular week in the Premier League. You know, there are a bunch of other games as well, but for the sake of the topics that we're going to get into, we don't really have a chance to really go too much in depth in, into them. So we're just going to move on. Yeah, so let's segue um, to Spain, uh, more specifically Basque Country, where uh, Barcelona went. And uh, just for the listeners, I don't know if... Um, you remember, but I said that going to play Athletic Bilbao in Bilbao is very tough, and they give us a lot, a lot of problems usually. And I did say we were going to go down first, one uh, zero, and lo and behold, we did. Um, but before I get into the game, I just want to kind of do what I did last time. I'm just going to go through the lineups. I uh, just give quick ratings of what I thought of each player. So, uh, Neto and goal. Um, now. Uh, Ter Sagan's still injured, obviously. He's not fit to play yet, so we went with Norberto Neto, the Brazilian, in goal. Uh, I'll give him a 5 out of 10. There was a, a lot of times where I feel like there was miscommunication between him and the defense, and I felt like our back line was just absolutely terrible. I, this was a very frustrating game to watch because there was very, very little communication, obviously, through the whole back line, um, especially the two center backs. More importantly, Eric Garcia. So one of the center backs being Eric Garcia. Um, Jared Piquet, obviously, alongside him. Jordi Alba on the left. Serginho Dest on the right. Um, I'll give the defense as a whole probably like a 4 out of 10 because it was so bad. And there were so many mistakes that we'll get into. Um, midfield, you got typical three. Uh, Frankie Diong. Uh, Sergio Busquets and Pedri. Um, the midfield, the midfield, I'll, I'll give them, I'll give them about a seven, seven point one, seven point two out of ten. They were decent. Um, I just felt like it could have been better. They picked out some nice passes. Frankie De Jong literally saved the goal. He came tracking back from midfield and slid. It was a one on one. The goal was pretty much gaping, and he slid and knocked it out for a corner when one of the athletic Bilbao players was, he was in on goal, like it was over. Defense was nowhere to be found, obviously. He was there. 
and he got up and no one even congratulated him there was no hype there was no thank you for saving our our butts um so that's also that's that stood out to me for sure that was one of those things that's like okay well there might be something internally with this with this team going on um and then front three griezmann depay braithwaite uh they were average very average five out of ten depay scored the goal so i'll give him an eight out of ten his goal was really well took and braithwaite missed a sitter to start off the game it was literally the goal was i think memphis depay um passed it into him and the goal was literally just wide open for him and he completely skied it over the goal after scoring two goals in the previous game he was kind of nowhere to be found this game so there's that and i'm sure barca fans aren't surprised by that um again the lack of communication was shocking um eric garcia was late on the man marking for the first goal again it was it was literally from his side he had he had the only chance um, to save us on that, he didn't. And like I said, De Jong did save us after a blunder from from Neto and Eric Garcia. Both again, bad communication there. And then Memphis, his goal was just an absolute net buster. I mean, the goal, the keeper didn't even see it. Um, I believe it was De Jong that played him in a uh, beautiful ball, and Memphis Depay really did the did the rest. He just completely rocketed it past the goalkeeper. And that was about it, 1-1, except for Eric Garcia. Actually, the best thing he did this game was get a red card because had he not made that illegal challenge <laughs> on, <laughs> on the on the Bow player, they would have scored the goal 110%. They would have scored a goal. So that red card, bravo, Eric Garcia. You get a round of applause for that. But <laughs> other than that, um, you pretty much caused the first goal. So I think it kind of cancels out, but... Yeah, it was just it was a shocking, shocking defending. I uh, I'm struggling to to really understand why Barcelona valued Eric Garcia like very highly to the point where it made like an issue with Manchester City board on you know how to sign him and how quickly they wanted to sign him and stuff like that. Remember that they tried signing Eric Garcia, I believe, in the winter transfer window of 2020. And, you know, he wanted to go, but Manchester City refused until the summer or until his contract ran up. I'm baffled. Uh, Eric Garcia, he's he's a young prospect still. He's he's very good. He's raw, but I just don't understand why they're, why they're thrusting him into the spotlight. I know that there's obviously, you know, you know issues with, with other defenders, such as, you know, Omtiti. You know, PK, Longley, you know, not all of them are ready to come back and stuff like that. But still, why Eric Garcia? I, I figured I'd ask you this because, you know, you know, you you know, if anyone knows Barcelona, it's you. I, I just I'm confused. Why are they valuing Eric Garcia so highly? We're talking about a defender that barely got any playtime with Manchester City, with Pep Guardiola, who, like I said, or like everyone knows, you know, won a lot with Barcelona. And yes, I know that Manchester City has a fantastic defense that are worth at least 500 million euros. But still, for a player that good, according to Barcelona, you'd think he'd get some playing time under Guardiola. But again, he didn't. So do you want to explain like why why he's rated so highly? 
Um, yeah, I'm, I'm pretty baffled too, honestly, but this is a recurring theme with Barcelona. The main reason I think they, they um, value him so high is because he's a youth product. He's a La Masia product, and Barcelona love, love, love those guys. They will do anything to play them before anyone else. And like you touched on, Sam, Samuel Ntiti is not fit. Clement Longley is not fit. So we honestly don't really have anyone else that can that can take his spot. And, I mean, we're kind of just forced to push Eric Garcia in there. But at the same time, we could have found someone else, maybe, um, because he, like, I mean, he's not going to play in that Man City back line. There's no chance in hell he's going to get any playing time with Ruben Diaz, uh, Laporte, and those guys. Um, no, he's not going to get any playing time. So, um, but no, Barca really does value those La Masia guys really high, even though they're not as good or Barca level good, at least, because they still need time to develop. And that's the thing with Eric Garcia. He needs time to develop into the Barca system. But we can't, at what cost? At losing games? At, like, him costing us goals? Like, I don't want this. I, 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 I don't want to trust this process right now. I want someone experienced, like a Umtiti, like a Longley, when they get healthy. I want to see them playing right away in that spot i want him to to take a seat on the bench you know learn from those those older guys world cup champion samuel mtd learn from him learn if if he even stays but just just learn in general just just take a take this season to kind of just you know sit on the bench learn maybe get some playing time here and there but to throw him into the starting spot uh i don't think so i don't think that's a good idea but i guess our hands are kind of tied here you know do you see him like let's say Umtiti, Longley, PK, whoever it is that is injured or not fit to play yet, do you still see him in that starting spot? Maybe play next to PK, maybe play next to Longley. I'm not sure how or who Barcelona would pick, but do you still see Eric Garcia as a starter going forward? Unfortunately, I do. That's because that's how we've been trending the past couple seasons. Is we tend to do like the opposite of what's um, of what makes sense so to speak like we're just not we're very like try to zig when everyone else zags kind of thing i feel like barcelona like does that to its detriment like they try to be too different in a way that doesn't help them out like like getting someone like braithwaite like who who valued him that high to say that this guy is barca standard barca as a club you talk about guys like terry henry ibrahimovic samuel eto Luis Suarez and then Martin Braithwaite. Like, what's the, the this has been the issue we've had, and it makes me so mad to talk about it. This has been an issue that we've had for the past few years right now, and we're just trending in the wrong direction. Hopefully, Memphis Depay. I think he'll be the answer, or something close to an answer of what we need. But like I said, when it comes to La Masia, you're number one. You're gonna play. Um, they're gonna play you a lot more than anyone else, but. I hope if Longley comes back, I can only hope that he that he plays ahead of Eric Garcia. But like I said, I, I will not be surprised if Coleman um, starts Eric Garcia. Still, will not be the least bit surprised. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. That that like like you said, it's baffling. But you know, I definitely agree with you. Um, okay, let's let's segue into the Bundesliga a little bit, or maybe just more Bayern Munich. Uh, I remember last week saying that Elfsley Cone is definitely a, a good matchup 
against Bayern Munich and that I predicted that we're going to win. Uh, I don't know what to say, but I mean, we did end up winning. Bayern Munich did end up winning, but still, it was tough. It was very tough. Even you could see it on the scoreline in itself. Uh, 3-2. You know, it's not often that you get to see, you know, Bayern Munich struggle with a competitor. In the Bundesliga, it's always nice to see competition, you know, in a league that's relatively weaker than the other leagues in in Europe. But it was nice to see. Uh, I'm not very happy. I am not very happy. Uh, Julian Nagelsmann, the coach. Not sure what he's doing with the with the lineup. It's mostly the conventional lineup that everyone predicted with Bayern Munich, but still, there are some change in it, changes in there that kind of have, you know, a question mark. Um, for example, at right back, we started Nianzu. Pretty sure that's a, how you pronounce his name. Who? <laughs> I have literally no idea who that is. None. I am a Bayern Munich diehard, and I can honestly tell you I can name players that are still very young, very unknown, but this Nianzu guy is is a question mark to me. How he literally stole his way into a, a starting spot is is beyond me. You know, you kept going. You know, we had a conventional, uh, I believe it was a four-two-three-one, which is obviously what you expect from Barney Munich given the the squad. Um, you had Dio Opimacano. Uh, I believe this was his debut as a starter. It was fantastic. You have Nicolas Sule. Um, still struggling from his obvious physical problem. Uh, and I don't mean an injury. I just mean that he sometimes plays way too physical. I know that he's a big guy. He's very tall. He's very strong. But again, he's very slow. And when when midfielders and strikers end up, you know, dribbling past him or speeding past him, he always gets way too physical. And that always ends up with a yellow card. He, once again, got a yellow card this game. He was unfortunate. But, uh, you know, pretty, pretty simple game for Bayern Munich. Not easy, simple. You know, you had uh, Robert Lewandowski uh, opening up the scoring in the 50th minute. Uh, you had LFC Köln. They had a little run a form where they scored two goals in about two minutes, I believe, from Anthony Modest and Mark Uth. And then you had Serge Gnabry, who, you know, replied with his own two goals very, very uh, quickly. I believe he was in the 60th and the 70th minute. We ended up finishing, like I said, 3-2. Um, you know, Bayern Munich, again, like I said last week, they do struggle with slow starts. And uh, this this is pretty much continuing the trend. I still do not see this team gelling together as efficiently as they should. I really hope they get it together with the Champions League starting up because we definitely want to make some noise in the Champions League once again. But, uh, you know, I just with this next game that I'm about to mention, I, de- I genuinely hope that the chemistry that we showed during this game shows up with the rest of the squad because it was the first game of the DFB Pokal, which is basically the German Cup, where all four tiers of the German league play together. Uh, we were matched against, a believe, a fourth tier squad, I'm pretty sure, uh, with the name of Bremer SV. Uh, it was a pretty competitive matchup. Pretty competitive. We mm, won totally. 12 to nothing. Yeah, 12 to nothing. 
You guys really had to break a sweat there. Oh yeah, I yeah. For I was, a second. Uh, that's the, that's exactly what I was about to say. I was pretty worried we were about to you know concede for a second. I don't know about losing. Conceding is is always something that you have to worry about. Um, you know, I'm not gonna lie to you guys. I did not really watch much of this game. I think I watched maybe in the first thirty minutes, something like that. Because when you have a player named Eric Maxime Chupu Motang scoring four goals, that's not something you should watch. Coming from a Bayern Munich fan, I do not hate anyone more on that team other than Eric Chupu Motang. He is a fraud. I'm not. I'm going to be very honest with you guys. He is a fraud. A fraud that just scored a super hat trick. <laughs> I do not care. It was a fluke. He's he's just. I, I do not understand what this guy brings to the squad. He is slow. He cannot shoot. He cannot pass. He plays. He is listed as a striker, but for the love of God, I have never seen this man make a run towards the box in my life. <laughs> you always catch him lacking in the midfield or even like, you know, back on defense, but I just do not get it. I do not get it. Like I said, scored four goals. I'm not going to mention all the goals that we scored because, like I said, there were 12. A lot of people scored. A lot of people that we know, you know, most mainstream fans know. A lot of people such as Jamal Musiala. No one really knows him, except maybe the Bayern Munich diehards, but he's a very, very good player. Very young as well, but he has a lot of potential. I could definitely see him, you know, you know, really thriving with our squad, uh, you know, with the right development. He could definitely be like a starter in a couple of years. That pretty much wraps it up with the Bundesliga and everything like that. Uh, to really get into the meat of this episode. Ooh, uh, the moment we've been waiting for. I'm rubbing my hands together. <laughs> transfers. Transfers, transfers, transfers. Transformation. Let's go. Let's go. Uh where do we even start? I mean, we could talk well, about <laughs> I mean, the, the, the fact that this week started with Saul possibly going to Chelsea and then it ended with Ronaldo going to Man United, there's just like, like, huh? Like, how did we get here? <laughs> like, what timeline are we in right now? For real, man. I mean, it was crazy because in between that, you had Mbappe said he wasn't happy at PSG, told his teammates he wasn't happy. Uh, Nasser Khalifi came out and said he's only going to leave on our terms, yada, yada, yada. Real Madrid offered him money. They rejected it. And then Ronaldo, it's like, okay, uh, I'm not happy at Juventus. I want to go to Man City. Then where everyone's convinced, yeah, sure, he's going to be at Man City. He's going to play with Pep Guardiola. Wow, it's going to be... Pep's going to have coached Messi and Ronaldo. That's crazy. Nope, psych. Uh, I'm going to go to Man United back where I started again. So it's like, holy crap, like, what is going on? <laughs> it's a very it's it's been a very wild week, and uh, that Ronaldo thing was definitely a very wild turn of events. Uh, you summed it up pretty nicely. I might go into a little bit more detail, especially with Mbappe and Ronaldo. But uh, when it comes to Mbappe, uh, for some reason, he's he's he wants to go to Madrid. Uh, I'm not a big fan of Madrid. Everyone that knows me knows that. But even as a neutral, you kind of. You're kind of weirded out. You're kind of you're kind of questioning yourself. Why would Mbappe want to leave this absolute squad of of I legend? I don't understand. I don't get it. <laughs> I go to Real Madrid 
and 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 like I get it if he's if he played with the squad, maybe he couldn't really find a definable role. You know, maybe he doesn't like the chemistry. Maybe he doesn't, but he hasn't played one game with this squad at full strength, and he wants to leave. You have the likes of Sergio Ramos. You have Lionel Messi. You have, you know, obviously uh, Donnarumma. You have Genie Vinaldum. You have a lot of these new players, a lot of these new faces coming in. And you're not at least curious to see how that's like. You just want to, like, leave straight up to Madrid. That's, that's this strange. Is oddly, this is oddly reminiscent of when we had MSN at Barcelona and then Neymar decided to leave to play... Uh, to not be in Messi's shadow, quote unquote. Um, well, yeah, Mbappe. Why don't you ask Neymar how that worked out for him? I mean, yeah, you're winning the French league, but have you won a Champions League yet? Mm, have you, have you even so. come, have you even come close? You you've made yeah. a final. Yeah, you you were in the final against Bayern Munich, but no one was stopping Bayern Munich that year. No, nope, not even a that, little. That's bit. that's what makes it more baffling. It's just he has a prime example of what selfishness could do. Literally playing on the opposite wing of him. On the left wing, you have Neymar literally right there standing in front of you. Neymar, who has a bunch of League One titles, sure. Does he have a Champions League? No. Does he have maybe an international trophy lying around somewhere? Not really. So, like, what's what's the reason? I don't get it. I, I get that maybe you're going to be forced to share the spotlight. Maybe even have the spotlight taken from you. Because you have arguably the greatest player of all time playing with you but still how are you not at the very least curious to on 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 what you could achieve with this team and and in even further than that what exactly are you waiting for in madrid like what is waiting for you there you have an awful defense waiting for you there you know composed of what either militao and david alaba or militao he's not really that much of a great defender David Alaba's finished. I'm a Bayern Munich diehard, and I can tell you that he's finished. We have literally... He's just too old to contribute to a to an elite team. He's done. We only sold him because he demanded too much money, and the only reason he demanded too much money is because he thought he was better than he was. And I'm not saying he's a bad player, but he's just aging. You know, that's what he has a lot of miles on his body. He did not play purely center back for Bayern Munich when he was with us. He was always joining the attack that adds miles to you. That adds a lot of wear and tear on your body. And then who else do you have on that Madrid squad? You have an aging Tony Cruz. You have an aging Luka Modric. You have a very injury prone Eden Hazard. You, You have Karim Benzema, who is, yes, he's great. He's fantastic, but like... This is the team that you want to go to so bad? This is the team that you call your childhood dream? I get it. They're the Galacticos, but the way that they're currently, they're currently constructed, I don't even see them making a semifinal of the Champions League, especially if they rely on Mbappe too much. France relied on Mbappe during the Euros. Yeah, I'm not going to lie, though. Uh, Real Madrid, they're... I wouldn't call them a bad squad. They're a good squad. If they get Mbappe, they will definitely be a great squad because he's what they're missing, in my opinion. Yeah, the defense is lacking a little bit, although I think uh, Militao and Nacho are pretty good defenders. And Alaba is eh. He's iffy. Sometimes he's good, sometimes he's not. But Benzema, 
Um, you still got Luka Modric. He can still make some plays. You got young players like Fede Valverde on the team. Vinicius, who is probably going to be taking a backseat once um, Mbappe arrives. But I think Mbappe is literally there. He's going to be their, like, their answer. He's going to be their missing piece. Are they going to win a Champions League with him? Definitely not. I don't think so. Personally, I don't think so. Although they did get close last year. They think they made it to the semifinals last year without him. But with him, I still don't think they're going to win a Champions League just because I feel like everyone else has gotten a lot better. A lot of other teams have gotten a lot better. So just adding Mbappe isn't going to take Madrid to the Champions League. They will definitely win La Liga, though, if they get him. And that's why I'm worried. And that's why I don't want him to come to Madrid. So personally, I hope he doesn't come just because from a Barca perspective, don't want him going to those scumbags in Madrid. And I think they're going to win the league if they get him. So, yeah, that's about it. But, yeah, he, he needs to stay. He has, like you said, Neymar. Just just go to go to the locker room, bro. Ask him, hey, man, like, <laughs> weren't you at Barca when you guys were winning everything and you guys had you guys won the five trophies or six trophies in one year? What happened? Why'd you leave? Oh, I don't want to play in Messi's shadow. And I came here and I... I've just been, you know, beating a bunch of farmers in the league. So, no, it doesn't make any sense. It doesn't. And and like you said, yes, sure, he'll go to La Liga and he'll win the title there. But, sure, you stay in France, you'll also win the title. And you'll have a much better chance of winning a Champions League. And at the same time, no one's asking you to stay long-term at Paris Saint-Germain. No one's asking you to stay. You have a year left on your contract. At the very least, give this legendary team a chance to win you a Champions League and then try to go earn it by yourself at Real Madrid. At the very least. But if you leave now, you're going to have to wait a while before you're actual Champions League contenders unless you somehow have a great transfer window with Real Madrid when you go over there. But again, with the, with the price that PSG is asking for, it doesn't leave a lot of money left over for other transfers other than, you know, obviously than Mbappe. So it's, it's, it's confusing. Like, yeah, I, it I, is. Get, it's, I, I don't understand it. I, I get that he wants to leave and maybe make his own name for himself, even though Neymar is literally right next to him suffering from that decision maybe each year. But still, you want to have the, spot to, the spotlight to yourself. By all means, go ahead. But at least do it as a free agent. At the very least, honor the contract. Give that squad a chance. I'm not telling you that you're not allowed to leave. You can leave. It's just baffling to me. Why, we, why, why do you not want to give this, this, this team a chance at the very least? Yeah, man. I, don't, I, I really don't understand it. It's, it's just very annoying when I see players do that. Like It annoyed the hell out of me when Neymar did it, obviously, because he was on my team. But still, when I see other players doing that, it's like... What are you doing? You have a chance to play with the greatest player ever in Lionel Messi, and you have a chance to play alongside Neymar and literally just uh, breeze through the French League again and possibly breathe through the Champions League. Who knows? And maybe win the Club World Cup as well, like in the next coming year. Like, So I don't, I don't understand. You have a chance to get all this glory, but you decide to go play at Real Madrid? It's mind-boggling. It's... Yeah, that's that's you basically summed up everything. It's 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 mind boggling. Uh, but you know, segueing into the other wild transfer of the week, we're talking about Cristiano Ronaldo going back to his uh, his club, 
where he broke a lot of records, won a lot of you know titles. Uh, Manchester United, and uh, this was a very wild transfer. You know, usually transfers in football they usually take you know weeks to finish off, but mm-hmm. it is as of now we are recording on a Friday, and we could confidently tell you guys on Sunday. Cristiano Ronaldo was a Juventus player who was committed to staying in Juventus, but now he's a Manchester United player. And 24 hours ago, he was a Manchester City player. Essentially, it, it's 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 been a very wild week when it comes to Ronaldo. Uh, I do not understand. I still don't understand why he chose to leave Juventus. Yes, you know Juventus didn't have that great of a summer window. Not a lot of great signings, but that doesn't mean they're a bad team. You know. They got rid of Perlo, who was a player coach, who was a legend of, of at you know at Juventus. Sure, maybe he wasn't that great of a coach. You know, it didn't work out. They brought back a very successful coach in uh, in Allegri, uh, and and it's not like they have a bad team. They have a great team. You know, they have Alvaro Morata. You know, say what you want about him, but he's he's a good striker. You know, Paulo Dybala. Yes, he's a little bit injury prone, but it's fine. You have Federico uh, Chiesa, who had a crazy run with Italy at the Euros. You know, he he improved a lot during this these past couple months and he's going to be a very very integral part of Juventus going forward. You know, you signed Locatelli who was also fantastic with Italy. You have, you know, a a, a midfield of 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 Bernadeschi. You have you know, Weston McKinney, the American forward who's 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 quickly becoming very very consistent. You have obviously uh, Chiellini and Bonucci, who definitely carried Italy's defense. It's not like Juventus is a bad team. And what makes this even more baffling is, you know, when a lot of people were discussing transfer rumors and stuff like that when it comes to Ronaldo a couple of weeks ago, he came out with this very long post about, you know, how a lot of people are talking about me and how he found it disrespectful to both him and the team that he's with and the teams that are interested in him and things like that. It's a very long Instagram post, and it kind of made you feel like, you know, Ronaldo was kind of telling people that he was staying put, but apparently that wasn't the case. Because for some reason, he demanded to leave Juventus, I believe, in the last 48 hours. Manchester City swooped in. You know, they were asking if, uh, you know, how much it would take to bring over Ronaldo. And obviously, Juventus didn't want to take him or didn't want to lose him for free. Or for nothing, essentially. So they asked for a transfer fee. If I believe it was anywhere between the range of twenty-eight to thirty million euros, and uh, Manchester City seemed like that they were okay with it, but then apparently that they weren't because it was revealed after he signed for United that they never really um, submitted an official bid for him. But you know. The news leaked that he was going to most likely sign for Manchester City. There was a lot of outrage from the United faithful. There was a lot of outrage from, you know, the commentators that are associated with Man United, even former players. And then, you know, everyone was kind of going to sleep angry or, like, surprised with the news. The next morning you wake up, Manchester City have pulled out of negotiations to sign uh, Cristiano Ronaldo. Manchester United swoop in. The bid that Manchester City had never asked for, United, you know, they submitted it almost immediately. I believe it was 25 million euros with 20 million of that guaranteed. And 
it was rumored, I'm pretty sure it's confirmed by now, but it was rumored that the only reason that Cristiano Ronaldo changed his mind is because he got a lot of calls from, you know, former teammates, uh, his former coach, Sir Alex Ferguson, arguably the greatest coach of all time. Uh, even, you know, players such as uh, Evra. Evra posted on social media his his conversation with Cristiano Ronaldo um, yesterday, like, late at night. And he texted, you know, that, you know, you know, Ronaldo, we want you back. How, how could you go to City? Remember what you said before? You know, all these things. And then Cristiano, uh, Christi- Cristiano texted him back saying, you know, he's going to play. He's, he's, he said word for word, I'm going to play for our club, bro. You know, obviously, Ever could not post that until obviously the, the the news was confirmed that he was coming back for United, but he did shortly after. So it's like I said, that's that's basically a little in depth look at how this entire thing happened. But it's still crazy to think about when it was forty eight hours ago. Ronaldo was a Juventus player. He was, you know, seemingly committed to the team. He was ready to go. 24 hours ago, he wants to leave Juventus. He's basically almost in a Manchester City kit. You know, so much so much news, so much talk, so much speculation. And now, he ends up finally signing for United. He, he ends up pretty much finishing his career where it basically started. I know that he didn't start at Manchester United. He started, I believe it was Sporting Lisbon, the, the Portuguese club. But he... Yeah. Got, he got on the map at Manchester United. I believe he only spent, what, three, five years there, I believe. But still, during those three to five years, he was a force to be reckoned with. He broke records. He won Premier League titles. He was, he was more than fantastic. He obviously went on to Real Madrid, where he won, I believe, what, four Champions League titles? A bunch of mm-hmm. La Liga titles as well. You know, he pretty much cemented his legacy, but the only thing that was holding him back was, you know, individual success. You know, he always had stacked squads with United. He had stacked squads with Real Madrid, so he wanted to give it a shot at maybe a team where he was maybe, I wouldn't say the lone star, but absolutely the most important star. He went to Juventus, but obviously that didn't work out. I'm not going to go too much into it because I already have, essentially. I'm not going to, you know, waste everyone's time with it. But those are my thoughts on this whole saga thing. This is essentially what's been going on for the past couple hours, the last 48 to 72 hours. It's been a very wild run. And if you're like me, I'm always stuck to my phone on Twitter. Uh, Always, always checking on, on credible journalists, you know, seeing what they're tweeting and stuff like that. And it was it was very wild to see. It kind of felt like every 15 minutes there was like a new piece of news, a new hint somewhere, someone going somewhere. You know, Ronaldo's agent talking to this guy or this guy. It was it was it was crazy. It was crazy. Yeah, yeah. It was just a lot going on. And then, to, as if there wasn't enough going on, the 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 UEFA um, draw happened. The group stage draw happened, and. Uh, just because we're in a little short on time here, let's just uh, kind of go through real quick, uh, give our two teams that are going to go through, and then maybe a team that can upset someone. So I'll go first here, looking at Group A, looking at Man City, PSG, uh, Leipzig, and Club Bruges. So for me, obviously, I think this one's pretty cut and dry. I think Man City and PSG 
are going to go top of the group. I think PSG is going to go number one. Man City is going to go number two. And a club that I can see maybe winning a game on either giant club is Leipzig, just because they have a, they have a pretty good team still. So I can see them maybe getting a game on Man City, possibly. Yeah, and it, it was especially crazy to see because when the Champions League draw was being held, um, Manchester City was basically the team that was almost confirmed to sign Cristiano Ronaldo. So mm-hmm. to see City going up against PSG, which is essentially Messi versus Ronaldo in the group stages, that was crazy to see. Obviously, that's not the case now, but still. Uh, like you said, pretty cut and dry here. Manchester City and PSG going uh, into the knockout stages. Obviously, PSG finishing first, Manchester City finishing second. It's a shame because RB Leipzig is a really, really good club. They're very well run. Um, they have a lot of great players. Lots of youngsters on that squad who who contribute quite often. I I follow them pretty closely. Uh, It's a shame that they're not going to really have a long run this year because, like I said, there's no way you're going to beat Manchester City or PSG. Mm -hmm. Uh, Going on to Group B, this is uh, absolutely my group of death this year. This group sucks. Yeah, this group sucks. it's, It's really tough. You have Atletico Madrid, you have Liverpool, you have uh, FC Porto, and you have AC Milan. This is crazy. I honestly, if if you're going to ask me for my two winners at the moment, I know it definitely seems like the obvious choice to go with are obviously Liverpool and Atletico Madrid, but honestly, this could go any way whatsoever. FC Porto is not some. It's not a team to take lightly. FC Porto actually eliminated Juventus last year in the yeah. semifinal of the Champions League. So, you know, that's not that wasn't a fluke. There was a home there was a home leg, there was no way leg. That's 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 not something you can call a fluke. And AC Milan, yes, sure. Maybe quality wise they're not as great as the other three squads in this group, but this is their Return to the Champions League in what I believe this is the first time they've been in it for 13 years now. So I believe it was that much. Something. Yeah, since like since like oh oh seven oh eight something like that. We're talking yeah, we're talking 13 14 years since they've been in it. So you know you can rest assured that the San Siro is going to absolutely be on its feet for this team, and they're gonna definitely cheer them on. And AC Milan's gonna do all that they could to try to advance. I'm not sure if they will, because like I said, Liverpool, always a contender for the Champions League. Atletico Madrid, very, very tough to get by. Obviously, everyone remembers when Liverpool and Atletico Madrid played each other in the knockout stages. I think it was two years oh, yeah. ago. It was right before COVID happened. There was actually like some like COVID cases at that very game. Yeah, and, yeah that's and then they eliminated them, and then... Uh, the Atletico Madrid Twitter handle, I see, tweeted Liverpool. They added them saying, oh, hello again, with like a waving emoji. So yeah, the, pettiness, yeah. uh, the pettiness has begun for sure. But Absolutely. but for me, my two, I'm going to go Porto and Liverpool, actually. I think Porto's going to, they're going to do it again. I think they're going to go second in the group. Liverpool's going to go first. Just because Liverpool usually ups their game in the Champions League. You don't uh, think Atletico Madrid's going to advance? No, I, I, I don't think so. I don't think they're going to advance just because I think Liverpool is going to be out for revenge this time against them. And I think this year, Liverpool this year, um, 
their squad seems like they're definitely going to make some noise or they're going to make some noise for sure. But in the Champions League, they're going to raise some eyebrows, I should say, with uh, Diogo Jota uh, back in the squad. And uh, Salah, obviously, is playing amazing. Mane. And I think Atletico Madrid, I just think even with Luis Suarez and everything, they've, they've looked good so far in La Liga. I don't want to call them a fluke team, but I just don't think they can sustain the quality that they've been playing at even in La Liga and against Champions League quality. And Porto's a great team. I think they, they have what it takes to uh, to upset Atletico Madrid and win over them. And AC Milan has a lot of good players um, that they could also... I mean, obviously, they're going to be without uh, uh, Donnarumma, who was their keeper. He's not going to be their goalkeeper anymore. That's going to be huge. But... Yeah, uh, I think it's going to be close, but I definitely think Porto, uh, Liverpool 1, Porto 2, Atletico is going to get upset, in my opinion. You know, those are all great points, but I'm still raising hot take. Yeah, yeah, that's that's definitely a hot take, to say the least. I mean, Scorching I know, I know, I know, I know, I know we said that Porto is a great squad, and, and they're definitely not easy, or like something, you know, someone you could t- like, take lightly, but I just... I don't see it. I do not see Atletico Madrid just being eliminated in the group stages. Yeah, sure, they made they didn't make a lot of great signings this summer, and they had a lot of people leave the squad. Does that make them weaker than Porto? No. I, I, yeah, I it, it doesn't. I just I just don't really think they can like sustain the amount of play against Champions League level. I think Liverpool is going to tire them out too when they face Liverpool, and I think AC Milan actually. They're kind of like Atletico Madrid in a way, like they they don't have like a shining gem of a star player, but they do have a lot of like solid parts. They do. So they do. so so I think I think they can they can kind of give them some trouble. It'll be annoying to them, but they'll just who knows, man. That's just what I'm what I'm saying. I could be wrong, but who knows? Anything can happen in in football. But uh, let's let's move on to Group C. Okay. Yeah, it's this is also a very tough tough group, very tough group. Uh, Sporting Lisbon, Dortmund, uh, Ajax, and Besiktas. Besiktas, the very good Turkish team. Ajax has dropped off a little bit. Uh, they pretty much let most of their young talent go, but they still do have uh, a little bit of little bit of talent. Uh, Dusan Tadic, uh, he's one of their most notable players. He's he's a very good player. They have a very solid goalie. Uh, Dortmund is going to be my favorite in this. Uh, for sure. very yeah, for very yeah. obvious reasons. So for doping, yeah, he got suspended for two years. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, so, but they, 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 you know, like you said, they definitely still have a lot of great squad or a lot of great squad talent. Um, I know that you said that they sold off most of the thing, but I agree with you. Just you know, little tidbit for our listeners that they did have a goalkeeper who was very solid at his position. Uh, he did get suspended for doping for, I believe, 24 months. Um, yeah. But yeah, no. Uh, I'm sorry. I, d- I didn't mean to interrupt. I just, you know. No, no, that's, that's that fine. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just just that's it pretty much. Just Dortmund. Um, the number two spot is going to be the, the spot where everyone's going to fight for it. But I don't know. I might I might take Ajax just because they've been here before many times. They're familiar with the Champions League. Um they perform in the Champions League, so I think I think they have what it takes. I think they'll I think they'll finish off second, and I think 
I think Besiktas might might catch one of the one of the better teams off guard. So, yeah, I think I'm pretty much right there with you. Uh, I think I think it's definitely Borussia, Borussia Dortmund and uh, and Ajax for me. Uh, Dortmund, there's literally no stopping Holland. He's a goal scoring machine. He's quite literally a machine at everything he does. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, yeah, that's that's you pretty much said it all. Group yeah. D though, um, Group D is kind of interesting to see. You know, you have two very strong squads and two very, you know, not so strong squads. Group D consists of Inter Milan, who recently came off the, you know, they won the the Serie A title last year. Real Madrid, uh, Shakhtar Donetsk. And uh, this is this. These are new. Uh, the full name for the squad. I actually have to, you know, Google this because I have no idea how to pronounce it. Uh, Sheriff Terraspol Country. That is mm-hmm. the full name of the squad. It is FC Club Sheriff. They hail mm-hmm. from Moldova. They were founded in 1997. This wow. would make their Champions League debut. This would they would this would actually make the Moldovan debut in the Champions League. So you know, uh, obviously that there, there's a little play-in tournament before the Champions League draw happens, and you know they had a really great run of form, and ended up qualifying for the Champions League. So that's all you know. That's good for them. Uh, unfortunately, they're not, they're not going anywhere except the group stage. But you know, the fact that they made it is pretty impressive in itself. Uh, this 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 one pr- seems pretty done to me. Even before any games take place, Inter mm-hmm. Milan and Real Madrid obviously going to advance. Uh, I don't see anyone surprising anyone in this group. Maybe Real Madrid dropping a point to a team, something like that. I don't. Other than that, I don't really see anything too surprising. Um. So, like I said, not not a lot to talk about in this group. The next group is. Very interesting, to say the least. Group mm-hmm. E. Uh, the group of Bs is what they're calling them, because three teams start with the letter B. Uh, wow, okay. Uh, we have Bayern Munich, obviously my team of choice. We have Barcelona, your team of choice. We have the Portuguese squad, Benfica. And... Uh, I uh, I apologize for the comments I'm about to make, but you know this is our first. I mean, everyone knows what's gonna happen to us essentially when we go up against you guys. I I I don't want to bring it up. I don't want to make things awkward. It's just the last time Bayern Munich and Barcelona faced off was, I believe, the semifinal. I'm pretty sure it was the semifinal. The semifinal. I don't, of the I don't recall. I don't recall that. I'm sorry. No, I, I could remind you. I have no problems no. with reminding you. It was the <laughs> semifinal of the 2020 Champions League. Uh, the one that was, uh, I believe it was, what, put off or postponed for a bit due to the high number of COVID cases. It was the beginning of the pandemic, but I remember it came back. I believe it was in July or August. And, um, you know, Barcelona was struggling. Uh, they were not having a great run of form during that period. And Bayern Munich 
was having a really good run of form. We we were we were bidding uh, teams pretty easily during this tournament, and pretty much everywhere else. I mentioned a couple minutes ago in the previous segment that Bayern Munich were not going to be stopped during that year. And they weren't, because the final score of that game ended up being 8-2. I'm not going to bring up any bad memories for you. Uh, Just going to bring that little, you know, piece of information up. And I'm just going to speed past that. You know, obviously, we're going to play each other again at least twice in this group stage. I definitely see Bayern Munich and Barcelona advancing. Benfica, they're also a very good squad. But again simply outclassed by the German and Spanish giants, Dynamo Kiev, you know. So I don't really see any of the other teams making any noise in this group stage. I'm pretty sure it's just going to be, you know, obviously Bayern Munich going in first, Barcelona going in second, I Benfica, I guess, going third. Yeah. You no, I just uh, I agree. I mean, I don't. I'm not gonna fool myself and say that we're gonna we're gonna beat you guys. We might we might draw, or yeah, but that's about it. I can see you guys beating us. But as 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 the rest goes, we might have trouble with Benfica. But I feel like with Kiev, we should be able to beat them easily. But I think we'll still advance. I think I'm not I'm not too worried. I think we'll advance in second. Uh, and then Group F is also pretty. I mean, to me, it's it's kind of cut and dry. Uh, Villarreal, uh, champions of the Europa League. That's how they got in this uh, in this tournament in the Champions League. Man United, Atalanta, and Young Boys. I think Villarreal and Man United are going to advance. Man United first, Villarreal second. Atalanta might give them some trouble. They might. They they have a solid squad. I think they can they can pull off a win against Villarreal and Young Boys. I don't think they'll beat Man United though. But I think they'll beat them once. I think they'll only beat Villarreal one time. I think Villarreal will beat them the second time. Um, but yeah, that's pretty much it. Uh, Group F seems pretty, uh, pretty cut and dry. I kind of disagree with you. Um, you know, Villarreal, fantastic squad. Uh, I'm pretty sure that's they're 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 the team that's run by Una Emery, right? The the former Arsenal coach. Mm-hmm. Yeah, good evening, guy. Yeah, yep, yeah, that's the that's the one. Um, you know they have history with Man United. Obviously, both these teams both reached the uh, Europa League final last year. Obviously, with Villarreal, you know, winning against uh, United. That uh, was uh, Arsenal. Arsenal oh, in the champ in the Europa geez. League final. Was it? Ah, uh, jeez, I am so sorry. Uh, yeah, no. Um, uh, yeah. My point is, they they won the Europa League title, so they're obviously contenders to at least make it to the knockout stage. United, not more, not much you could say. Ronaldo, Sancho, Varane, Cavani, Bruno Fernandez. Just these names alone, without any explanation whatsoever, should kind of tell you why they're going to finish the top of the group. Um. The X factor in this group is going to be Atlanta. Atlanta is a very good offensive squad. They had the most goals, I believe, in the Serie A last year. And not only that, it wasn't last year. I'm pretty sure it was the season before when they were in the Champions League. They had a really, really good run. And mm-hmm. I just, I don't know. I don't see them going down quietly. And... This might be a little bit of a hot take, but 
I don't see Atlanta being eliminated in the group stages. I definitely see them advancing with United, which would obviously leave Villarreal out. Mm-hmm. I, I I'm comfortable saying that it would be Manchester United and Atlanta heading to the knockout stage. Okay, yeah, yeah, that's 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 very possible. I mean, Villarreal have shown that they're good, but Atlanta can also have shown that they can make deep runs into the Champions League like they have before. And uh, Group G, we have Lask, Lille, no. French, the French uh, French champions, uh, Sevilla, Salzburg, Wolfsburg. Uh, I don't know. I don't want to get too quick to say that this group is going to be Lille and, Sev- and Sevilla and Sevilla, but I I don't know. I'm probably going to go with that. I'm probably going to go with both of them advancing just because I haven't seen much from the others. This is the most boring group in the Champions League by far. I'm sorry. Like I know Lille, they pulled off maybe the impossible from take. You know they when when they stole a title away from PSG last year. I know Sevilla always gives trouble in the Champions League, and you know usually when they're eliminated, they go pretty far in the Europa League. But again, nothing notable here. You know, yeah. you know Salzburg. You know they have a really good squad, but everyone knows that Salzburg is basically an academy for RB Leipzig. You know, any player that shows off for Salzburg always ends up going for RB Leipzig. The only exception the past couple of years were obviously Erling Holland, who went to Dortmund instead of Leipzig. And uh, Huang, I believe it was Huang. I'm not going to, you know what? I'm not even going to pronounce his first name. It was it was the Asian player, Chang. Mm-hmm. He had a really, really good run of form a, a couple of years ago. I'm not sure where he is now, yeah. but I'm positive that he's transferred out to Salzburg. And Wolfsburg, Wolfsburg's a pretty okay squad. I watch them, you know, occasionally in the Bundesliga, but, you know, not much to look forward to there. I would be surprised if I catch myself watching any of these group games in this group, honestly. Yeah, it's definitely a snooze fest for sure. Um, Lille and Sevilla should have an easy time. Probably. And then, yeah, so last group, Group H is Chelsea, Juventus, Zenit, and Malmo. Again, this, I mean, Zenit is like always in the in the Champions League, them and uh, Shakhtar, just because they're both like always like prominent in their Russian and uh, Ukrainian leagues. So I don't know. I just feel like they're just participants at this point. They're not really like going to go far at all. Chelsea obviously should be number one. I mean, with the form that they're in with Lukaku as well, they should no doubt go number one. Juventus without Ronaldo, eh, I'm a little, I'm a little skeptical, but I still think they should, they should have what it takes to beat Malmo. Zenit might upset them, maybe, but Chelsea's a lock, a hundred percent. Yeah, no, uh, cut and dry for me. Uh, Zenit. You know, not a lot of great players. Malmo, I'm not going to lie to you guys. I have no idea who they have, what they've done. But Chelsea, obviously the reigning champions of Europe, and Juventus, they, they should have a pretty easy path to the knockout stages. This seems, like I said, pretty cut and dry. Not much to go into here. Uh, it'll definitely be yeah. interesting to watch the Chelsea and Juventus games to see how Juventus holds up against a very, you know, star-studded squad to see how they 
transition past the Ronaldo era. So it'll it'll be very interesting to see, you know, things like that. But when it comes to the overall outcome of the group, it's definitely going to be Chelsea and Juventus. I, there's there's no way that would be extremely surprised if anyone else, you know, makes it out of this group. Yep, yep. I think uh, I think we covered everything, man. Uh, unless there's anything that you want to go back and talk about, but I think I think we did a good job of uh, you know giving our listeners. Everything that went down in a hectic, hectic week, we just had to kind of squeeze it all into one episode. Um, but I think, uh, yeah, I think think we hit all the all the notable points for sure. Yeah, no, I know that there's definitely a, a, more than a few Premier League games we could have gotten into, but for the sake of talking about everything that's transpired this week, uh, we had to kind of, you know, skip over those. Uh, this will not be something that we do every week, but like I said, this week is definitely an exception. Just for the sake of, you know, Ronaldo doesn't really go back to Manchester United every week. So that's not going to, you know, that's probably a reason why. And uh, the Champions League draw, like I said, it basically happens once a year when it comes to the group stages, at least. So there's there's definitely a lot to talk about. But uh, when it comes to, you know, skimming over everything and, you know, going into depth when we need to, uh, we hope this was enough for you. If there are any questions, concerns, comments, criticisms even... You can follow us on Instagram at the Deep End PD. Yes, mm-hmm. the Deep End PD. The same thing, the same at on Twitter. You can reach us on our social medias as well if you know us personally. And if there are any other things that you want to talk about, anything you want to see us talk about, you know, there's you're always welcome to let us know. Other than that, this has been Hamed and Mo. Thank you, guys. We'll uh, catch you next time. Bye-bye.